Exodus 15, 1 through 27. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my strong, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O God, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew you with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Great victories necessitate great anthems. Great victories necessitate great anthems. I forgot to mention during the announcements that you'll have a chance, if you'd like to discuss this anthem a little bit more immediately following the service, we are going to be having, uh, having some roundtable discussions downstairs in the fellowship hall. There'll be some munchies and some food where you can talk a little bit more about the sermon if you'd like to. Connect with the elders, ask any questions that you might have especially questions that stump them. I like when you ask them those questions and not me. But if you'd like to join us immediately following the service downstairs in the fellowship hall, we'd love to have you come and talk about this great anthem. 
The other thing I should have mentioned during the sermon is that, uh, or during the announcements is that uh, I am going to be on vacation the next two weeks, and so I'm actually really excited because I've been working with the elders. And next week, our own Rich Wellman will be continuing our series on Exodus as the, as the people of God continue to move through the desert towards the place that the Lord has promised them, the promised land. He's going to lead us next week. And then Dan Smiley is going to be preaching the week after that, continuing our Exodus series. So I'm excited to hear how the Lord speaks through them and uses them. And I hope that you're excited as well, because I can't wait uh, myself to listen to that and hear the fruit of our discussions that we've been having together as we've studied this incredible section of the Scripture. But the section that we're looking at today, Exodus 15, reminds us that great victories necessitate great anthems. In September 13th of 1814, British warships rained down shells and rockets on Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor and relentlessly pounded this American fort for 25 hours. And the bombardment came to be known as the Battle of Baltimore. It happened only weeks after the British had attacked Washington, D.C., had burned the Capitol, the Treasury, and the President's house. All just a continuing episode in the ongoing War of 1812. And as this bombing went on of Fort McHenry, a 35-year-old American lawyer watched the bombardment from his own ship eight miles away. And the hours passed slowly. But so it was in the clearing smoke of the dawn's early light on September 14th, he saw that it was not the British Union Jack flag that was flying from Fort McHenry. He saw flying over that fort the American flag, at that time with 15 stars and 15 stripes, known as the Star-Spangled Banner. It was flying triumphantly over the fort, announcing an American victory. And so this young lawyer, Francis Scott Key, wrote down his thoughts on the back of an envelope while he was still on board the ship, and he eventually set the words that he wrote down to a popular English song, and he titled it, The Defense of Fort McHenry. The song, of course, came later to be known as the Star-Spangled Banner, and on March 13th of 1931 became our national anthem. Because, friends, great victories necessitate great anthems. And we just read last week of the great victory that the Lord won over Pharaoh and his people. And great victories necessitate great anthems. And so in response, God's people have just passed through the Red Sea. They've come onto the other side. They're safe. They're secure. A great victory has been won. And what is the response but a song? Because great victories necessitate great anthems. Now, now this word, this word that I keep using, anthem. It comes from the Old English antiphon, which originally meant a song that was sung antiphonally, which means back and forth. There were two groups of singers singing back and forth, sort of like we just sang in the song, Is He Worthy? One group sang one and another group um, responded, or sometimes it's the call and the repeat. For example, this song in Exodus 15 was probably an antiphonal song. It seems as we look at verse 1, it says, Moses led the people, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. But then we get down to verse 21, and Miriam seems to lead the women to sing the same things now. She says in verse 21, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. It sounds like it's antiphonal. 
This is an anthem in the proper definition of it. It's Israel's national anthem. Great victories necessitate great anthems. I mean, today, obviously, our Star Spangled Banner and so the anthem of so many other countries, it has little to do with the way the vocals are sung. They're not sung antiphonally. But it has to do with the content of a song. An anthem has taken on the meaning of a song that celebrates and expresses devotion to a person, to a people, or to a purpose. It's a song that expresses devotion and celebrates a person, a people, or a purpose. And Exodus 15 is a great anthem. It celebrates the feats of the Lord at the Red Sea in delivering His people and expresses their devotion to the Lord in response to His great victory. Because great victories necessitate great anthems. And the Lord has won a great victory. He's delivered His people. And Israel's response is to sing. But that's not surprising, is it? I mean, singing is a natural human response to great things happening. You know, just this week, I was driving with my girls somewhere, and we were listening to music by the Christian worship group Rend Collective, and my 14-year-old Abigail said, you know, I think every Christian song is a love song. Every Christian song is a love song. And she's right. You know, she's a smart kid. She clearly takes after her mother. Because every Christian song is a love song. But friends, I'd go even further and argue that every song is a love song. Every song that we sing is ultimately a love song because it's natural. We sing about what we love. We sing in response to great loves or to great acts of love. Every song at its core is really a love song expressing a joy and a love and a devotion to that which we sing. And realizing the Lord's great love for her, having experienced this great act of deliverance, what does Israel do? She sings. Because singing is such a natural human response to great acts of love, to great loves. Friends, interestingly, this here in Exodus 15 is the very first corporate worship song recorded in the Bible. The first one. In Genesis 1, God creates everything that exists, and then it takes until we get here to Exodus 15, where we find the very first recorded corporate song of worship. You could argue that there are other songs before this, small snippets uh, uh, that sound very song-like, but this is the first recorded corporate song of the people singing together in worship. And it's not surprising that we find it here because what did we just find? We found the single greatest revelation of God's love for his people, the greatest act of deliverance that has so far been recorded. So, of course, in response to such a great love, in response to such a great act, there is a great anthem of worship because great victories necessitate great anthems. And what is the central thing that we learn about God from this song? If we were to to boil this song all down and say, well, what is the central thing that we learn about God himself from this song of worship? What, What is Israel celebrating as they celebrate the Lord's deliverance? You know, we find it's 
the, the opening lines, they're repeated in various ways. It's, it's about this victory that the Lord has won over Pharaoh. We, we hear it repeated in many different ways throughout this song. So the central idea that we learn about the Lord, I think, is summarized in verse 3. In verse 3, it says, The Lord, or His name Yahweh, is a man of war. Yahweh is His name. Some translations say Yahweh, or the Lord, is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. He's a man of war. He fights for his people. And this makes people uncomfortable. You know, we we all the time, we hear, what do we hear? God is love. We like that. We We hear God, he's a God of peace. We like that one too. We croon that God gives hope. We, we like that. But God is a warrior. Starts to, to make people a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? But friends, this entire song is celebrating that God is a warrior. A warrior who fights for and who delivers his people. Central to this song is the Lord's identity as a mighty warrior who judges evil and fights for his oppressed people. And friends, this is good news. This is good news for us today because this world is filled with evil, isn't it? And we need a mighty warrior. You know, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about masculinity the other day. Because God has inescapably and immutably created us men and women, male and female. So godly masculinity and godly femininity are beautiful. They're God's idea. They're His design. And this commentary about masculinity spoke the truth about what we need in a world filled with evil. We need mighty warriors. You know, the commentators were talking about uh, the typical masculine tendency towards aggression. And some today say, well, well, aggression's always bad and our men should really just become more docile. But this commentator made the point, he said, there are times when we need to aggressively oppose darkness and evil that's going on in the world. Because there are injustices that are worth getting passionate and getting aggressively opposed to. Nice people in the middle who sit back and say, oh, isn't that terrible, throughout history never looked that great in hindsight because they always let everything happen. It's the untold mass of Germans who were probably great people in the 30s and 40s who sat in the middle and were like, that man Hitler, he's not very nice, is he? My goodness, he's not very nice. Somebody should do something. And the commentators conclude, really one of the best things about mobilized and masculine aggression is when it meets evil head on and does what needs to be done. We do need to passionately meet the darkness head on sometimes. Friends, we live in a world that's filled with evil, so we need a mighty warrior. Someone who passionately meets the darkness head on. A mighty warrior who's not ambivalent or apathetic about evil and oppression and suffering. One who stands against injustice. One who fights for the oppressed. Friends, hear the good news. The Lord is such a warrior. And you say, Adam, no, 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 God is God's love. What do you mean he's a warrior? God is love. But friends, doesn't a warrior fight to protect that which he loves? I mean, how many of the great, the world's great hero stories feature a reluctant warrior who's goaded into battle, who's goaded into fighting because what he loves most is threatened? I mean, love is what motivates the warrior to fight. You know, for example, if you were to break into my house at night and try to harm my family, then may God have mercy on you because I'm not going to. And you say, Adam, that's horrible. 
That's so unloving, isn't it? No, friends, it's my love for my family that demands I do everything in my power to protect them. Obviously, I will do everything in my power to keep those I love safe without having to bring harm on another person. But the point is, love gets angry when what it loves is threatened or harmed. Love does not stand idly by while the innocent are unjustly harmed. It is my love for my family that causes the warrior in me to arise. And so it is with the Lord. The Lord so loves his people that the warrior arises and he meets evil head on and he does what needs to be done. God is love. And God is a warrior because of his love. And his love for his people is revealed to them in the Exodus. And it's celebrated throughout this song that the Lord is a warrior. And he fights for his people. And friends, this at its heart is the gospel. This is the good news. The Lord is a warrior. He's not ambivalent or apathetic about evil and injustice in this world. The Lord doesn't look upon the evil that people have suffered or the evil that you've suffered and go, Oh my, isn't that terrible? That evil's not very nice, isn't, isn't it? Oh, oh my goodness, somebody should do something. Evil will be defeated and destroyed, says the Scriptures. God loves His people and His creation too much to be ambivalent and apathetic about evil. The good news, the Gospel, is that the Lord is a warrior. And just as the warrior God triumphed over Pharaoh and his army at the Red Sea to deliver His people... So now we know the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ has come as a warrior to triumph over the forces of evil and darkness at the cross and to deliver his people. The Apostle Paul celebrates in Galatians 1.4 and says, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. On the cross, Christ gave himself to deliver us. His love compelled him to fight for us, to deliver us, because the Lord is a warrior. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, what happened? The ultimate battle was fought, and the ultimate triumph was won in the cross and the empty tomb of Easter morning. As Colossians 2.15 celebrates, the Lord disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. The Lord is a warrior, and he has come to fight for and to deliver his people, to triumph over rulers, authorities, darkness, evil, sin, and even death itself. In fact, earlier in the letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul celebrates. He celebrates in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that the Lord has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just as Israel was delivered from Pharaoh and his kingdom through the Red Sea, so the Lord, who's a mighty warrior, has fought to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness by the cross of Jesus Christ and deliver us into his kingdom of light. This is the anthem of the gospel. The Lord fights for us. And notice the word that's used in verse 14 of Colossians here. It says, in Jesus we have redemption. In Jesus we have redemption. Redemption to redeem means that something transfers ownership. 
Something transfers ownership. Some price has been paid for the thing redeemed so that it can become the property of the Redeemer. A price has been paid that the thing redeemed might become owned by the Redeemer. And you might have noticed the same language was used in the anthem of Exodus 15. Because in Exodus 15, verse 13, it says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Friends, the Lord is a warrior, and in love He has redeemed His people. This is what the Lord has done for His people Israel, and most perfectly, He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to do this for us. He has redeemed us. He has bought us. He has set us free, for the Lord is a warrior who has fought for us. And the Apostle Paul celebrates in Ephesians 1.7, In Christ we have redemption through Jesus' blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Jesus is the warrior. He fought to redeem us from slavery to our sins. He's paid the price of our redemption with His own blood shed on the cross. He's shown us the riches of His grace and His great and steadfast love. The Lord is a mighty warrior. And friends, do you know the deliverance that He's come to bring us? Do you know the deliverance that He's come to bring? Have you been redeemed by His mighty deliverance and by His blood shed upon the cross? Have you experienced the overwhelming love of God and the riches of His grace that are poured out upon us by Jesus Christ? Friends, do not wait because there is no other God like Him. So there is no other salvation than in Him. The anthem celebrates the power of the Lord that saved His people because great victories necessitate great anthems. Verse 8, verse eight. did you see verse 8? It makes me laugh. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. You know, the next verse, verse 9, remembers their bragging and their strength of the enemy before the battle. They said, oh, we're going to totally win. And verse 8 goes, no, at the blast of the Lord's nostrils, the enemy was destroyed. God blew His nose and He wiped them out. God sneezed and he defeated the enemy. What incredible power has the Lord, the mighty warrior. So incredible is his power as demonstrated against the Egyptians. So the song celebrates in verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you among the gods? Who's like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders? There's none like you. You're so powerful, you sneeze and the enemy is defeated. So friends, friends, in whose power are you going to trust? What power do you trust for your own salvation? The question in verse 11, who's like you, is a direct reference. Because this question has been asked at least two times before in Exodus you might remember hearing when, when the Lord first appeared to Moses at the burning bush and said, Hey, Moses, you're going to lead my people. You're going to lead them out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. Moses responded in Exodus 3, verse 13. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, Moses said, Who are you? Who are you? He starts off. By saying, who are you? And after seeing the deliverance of the Lord through the plagues, through the Red Sea, now Moses sings, who's like you? He goes from who are you to who is like you? 
There is no one else like you who's majestic in holiness, who's awesome in glorious deeds, who's doing wonders. You see how the, the Lord has brought him around to see who he is. The problem was Pharaoh didn't see it the same way. Because he also asked the same question. When Moses first confronted Pharaoh in Exodus 5, verse 2, Pharaoh responded, he said, Who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know this, the Lord or Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And I will not let you go because there's still five minutes left. And that bell, that bell is early. So I will not let you go. That's right. So who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Well, friends, Pharaoh also got an answer. Who's the Lord? Pharaoh saw everything that the Lord saw. But he continued to resist. Friends, not just who is the Lord. The real question is who is like the Lord? Is there any other power? Is there any other power on heaven or on earth? that can rival the power of the Lord? Is there any other power that can stand against the Lord? Is there any other power that is mighty to save, strong to deliver, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, working wonders? And if you are here today and asking, who is the Lord? Don't be like Sarah and those who followed him, stubbornly resisting, but rather like Moses, who started by asking, who is the Lord? And ended by saying, who is like you, Lord? Because there is none like him. There's no other God and friends. There is no other salvation. There's no other warrior who fights for his people. There's no other warrior who so loves his people that he brings them deliverance. Friends, this is an anthem worth singing. Salvation worth proclaiming. A God worth celebrating. Because great victories demand great anthems. And so we sang of the Lord this morning. We sang, you're the hymn of the ages, the hope of the world. You carried our redemption on your shoulders. You're the anthem of salvation. Jesus, Lord of Lords, your legacy will echo through the ages. And friends, if you never have, today's the day to join the anthem of salvation. Today is the day to join the song, The Lord is the Warrior, Our Redeemer, the Hymn of the Ages. And what stops you from joining His great anthem and singing of His great salvation? And friends, when Israel sang this song, they not only looked back on what the Lord had done for celebration, but they looked forward to what the Lord would yet do in anticipation. They looked back in celebration. They looked forward in anticipation. Because you might have heard that verses 13 through 18 that Jeannie read for us sounded a little odd. Verses 13 through 18 might have sounded strange to your ears because all the verses used past tense verbs of things that had not yet happened. It used past tense verbs of things that had not yet ha happened. These verses spoke of things that would happen in the future as if those things had already happened. How could it do that? Friends, it was prophetic. It was so certain, so absolutely unquestionably certain that the Lord was going to safely deliver his people 
through the nations and plant them safely in the promised land, the song speaks and sings and celebrates as if it had already happened. It's a done deal. The power of this mighty warrior that delivered his people from Pharaoh's army by parting the Red Sea is now going to part the nations and they're going to go right through unscathed. The anthem of Exodus 15 would have inspired the people both to remember and celebrate the Lord's deliverance in the past and to anticipate his powerful deliverance in the future. And friends, it's the same for us. Jesus Christ is the mighty warrior who was victorious at the cross and at the empty tomb, who redeemed and delivered his people. And friends, he will safely deliver us home. Because one day Christ is going to return to triumphantly and completely and eternally make all things new. To judge all evil and to deliver his people safely home. And friends, this future is so certain, that, as the Lord has promised, that we can anticipate it with certainty and with true hope. And so it is we find another song of Moses in the scriptures. Do you know there are multiple songs of Moses in the Scriptures? We find one back here in, in Exodus 15, the very first recorded corporate worship song. But we find another one at the very end of the Bible in Revelation. Of all places, Revelation. The very end of the Bible looking towards the end, towards Christ's return. And in Revelation 15, verses 3 through 4, we hear another song of Moses. Listen to this. And they sing the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Friends, the song of Moses was fulfilled in the song of the Lamb and will be fulfilled at the end of time, the deliverance of which Moses sang and celebrated with Israel finds its fulfillment in the song of the Lamb, in Jesus Christ who came to deliver us. Friends, great victories necessitate great anthems. And all of the victories of the Bible point to the great victory that Jesus Christ has won. All of the anthems of the Bible celebrate and point us to or flow forth from the one great victory of Jesus Christ. The Lord who delivered Israel from Pharaoh at the Red Sea is the Lord who delivered us from our sin at the cross of Jesus Christ. Is the Lord who will return one day to perfectly and completely judge and destroy all evil and deliver his people to himself. Friends, great victories necessitate great anthems. And all of the great victories and anthems of the Bible point to or flow forth from Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks with certainty of all these future victories. And friends, we can live in certainty and in confidence of the certain victory that Christ has won for us because it's a done deal. In fact, we're going to close our service today singing a song that remembers the Lord's great power and his victories of the past, but also looks forward and anticipates a day when, behold, we'll see him coming to bring a final and a perfect deliverance. Because great victories necessitate great anthems. And so, friends, church, what will your anthem be? What is the anthem of your life going to sing? Because every one of our lives sings an anthem. 
Every one of our lives celebrates that which we love. Every one of our lives is lived remembering past victories and anticipating a future hope. What anthem is your life going to sing? What love are you going to celebrate? What victories will you remember? What hope is going to drive you? Friends, what warrior is going to fight for you? Who will be the anthem of your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. The truth that Jesus Christ has won the ultimate victory that he has and that he will deliver. Thank you that the victory that Moses and the people of Israel experienced at the Red Sea points us to an even greater deliverance. And thank you that this song celebrates you for who you are, a mighty warrior, a warrior who fights for us, a warrior who has come to set us free, a warrior who has come to defeat sin and death and hell, that we might live in hope now and forevermore. So, Father, lead us, your people. May we glorify you and follow you with all that we have, with all that we are, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.